This evening we're going to conclude our weekend presentation on how to have the character of Christ and with it the assurance of salvation inside the context of the pre-edment judgment and assurance of salvation. What we're going to do this evening is actually look at the last of the three expectations that for me summarize my walk with Christ and hopefully yours as well. And so what we're going to do is actually do the repeat of what we've done so far. We're going to look at the expectation, then the steps, and then the promises. And there are some very powerful promises, four of them specifically, that I'd like us to take a look at this evening. So to begin with, we're going to see what God expects. Just like that employer, the more sharply we know our employer or our Savior's expectations, the better we are able to comply with those expectations with his strength. And so the pictures here tell the story. God's goal in this uh, part of plan of redemption is to conform our entire will to his will, which is pictured by Eve there at the tree, contrasted with a picture of Christ saying, not my will, your will be done in Gethsemane in that picture. So we have basically four simple steps. The first one, like the other two expectations, begin with beholding Christ. And when we behold Christ here in Gethsemane, we see Him and hear Him saying what's recorded there in Matthew chapter 26, verse 39, not my will, yours be done. And so the question would be, is that step simple? Sure. The difficult part is when my will says, I want to do differently. But the step is still simple. How many people can do this? All the children in the world. Big, young, small. Every one of us can. So the very first step is to see Christ submitting to to his Father, and we follow suit. The second step of these four steps is to uh, notice that our thought life follows our beholding life. And in this case, one of the thoughts that comes to our minds is that actually Christ, as seen here in the Garden of Gethsemane, really truly is the most unique, awesome being in the entire universe. The king humbled himself and said, not my will, your will be done. That's incredible. And as we think about that, we ask God, help us to be like you. And in Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7, We hear the wisest man who ever lived, of course, other than Christ, saying, as we think in our heart, so are we. In other words, our thought life is going to produce step number three, and that is to obey Christ. Obey is another word for submitting. And so here we have this verse that's rather unique. We're going to see this from two, two angles. It says, if you love me, keep my commandments. So what is the step before obeying, according to that verse? It's loving him. So we behold him, we love him, and therefore we obey him. And we've asked many Protestant churches who say that they are willing to obey Christ, except for the fourth commandment. We ask them, if you talk about love, why don't you obey him, including the fourth commandment? And they could say, Adventist friend of mine, that is a valid question. Can I reverse the question on you? And that is, if you obey him, Seventh-day Adventist on the Fourth Commandment, 
do you love him? So that's equally a valid question. So again, we need to remember that of the four steps, the first one is behold, then yes, God, I love you, and then I obey, obey what God says. That's a simple step, and every child can do this, every adult can do this. But notice this right here. You see a person building a house or the foundation, and we, what we notice is as we do these first three steps, behold, love, and obey, we are forming the foundation, as is pictured in this little bitty picture, step number four. Now I want you to look at this next verse that we're looking at, and notice the sequence of those words, submit and resist. Notice what it says. James, under inspiration, says, Submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and then uh, he will flee from you. Notice that here we have the resistance, step four, coming after step three, submit, which comes after behold, or love, and after behold. And what I notice in my own life, how many times have I tried to resist the devil at the tree of knowledge of good and evil before I submit to God? It never works. Until I submit to God, like Christ did, I will never have a lasting resistance to the devil there. Simple. A child can do this. Now let's notice that those four steps, as we repeat those, they become a habit. A habit of beholding Christ, a habit of loving Christ, a habit of obeying Christ, a habit of resisting temptation. Simple? Yes. Can children do this? Yes. Character. As we repeat the habit of beholding Christ, we form the character of beholding Christ. We form the character of loving Christ. We form the character of obeying Christ. We form the character of resistance of temptation. Simple? Yes. Children can do? Yes. And notice the last one. Destiny. As we, with God's help, fix a character, what we've just seen in the previous slide, we form a destiny Heaven, in which everyone in heaven beholds Christ, loves Christ, obeys Christ, and, and resists temptation. So when we step from this life with Christ's help, having formed that character of loving Him, obeying Him, and resisting the devil, we step into a heaven that does the very same thing, and we feel right at home. So that is your simple uh, process by which we go from Eve, shall I obey, to Christ, yes. Simple, yes, a child can do this. Now, at this point, I want us to transition into the next section, and that is the promises. Again, I don't know what you have inherited from your parents. I don't know what you've inherited from your, your grandparents or as far back as you want to go. But the promise is that every one of us can go from Eve at the tree to Christ in Garden of Gethsemane. And we're going to look at four specific promises that show us this. This one right here I find rather fascinating. It's something I put together a while back, and it's a slightly different take on a passage that we've seen in, the, um, in Ezekiel. But I believe it's going to, to uh, hopefully enrich our lives, namely that this transition from Eve at the tree to Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane takes a lifetime. I can tell you as a 45-year-old Seventh-day Adventist Christian, it's taking 
my life to learn Christ's way and unlearn my way, namely live for others versus self, live for God versus rebellion against Him. Um, but here's the thing that's rather interesting. We've heard many times correctly that the Sabbath is a sign of our sanctification. So let's take a look at this. This is, this is to me rather interesting. In the account in Genesis 1 and 2, we see a marriage between Adam and Eve on Friday, day 6. Everything's created. There's a marriage. And then guess what happens? Then we have this line right here. If you see this uh, at the beginning of this arrow, you have sundown happening right here. The arrow is the 24 hours of Sabbath. This part is the end of sundown Sabbath. I had always thought that at the end of the sixth day, the seventh, uh, excuse me, the, uh, the end of the sixth day, I thought that God sanctified the Sabbath right there Friday evening and He moved into a sanctified day. The Bible nor the Spirit of Prophecy bears that out. It's actually the reverse and it's beautiful relative to what we're seeing here in a moment. So let's look again, like I was saying, put the Bible and the Spirit of Prophecy. If you as Seventh-day Adventist youth will combine those two, you will be a head and not the tail in theological walks with, with God. So here we're going to start with the Bible first. It says in Genesis 2.1, he finished his work then he rested, then he sanctified. Now watch this. From the spirit of prophecy, I apologize for the tiny print, one of these days it will be larger, but um, in this quotation we find this statement, Patriarchs and Prophets 47, paragraph 3, after resting upon the seventh day, God sanctified it and set it apart as a day of rest. Now that may be just a lot of texts, quotations, verbiage. Let's tie it together. This means, in a very real sense, Adam and Eve entered a day that was being created. They walked into a day with their Creator. 24 hours were being made, at the end of which that seventh day was sanctified. You see that? Rather fascinating. Now let's take a look at the application to our walk from tree of knowledge of good and evil in our life to Christ in Gethsemane. Not my will, your will be done. Watch this. There is also another marriage. This time it's you and I with Christ. We see over the last 6,000 years, like Adam did, six years or six days, there was a donkey, there was this, there was that. Adam said, I, I marvel at your creative power. I would like a spouse. And he had a spouse, married, walked into this day that was being created called the Sabbath. Down here, we look back over the recreative power of our Redeemer with Martin Luther, with every person who's walked this planet who's been born a rebel and transformed into God's likeness from the tree of knowledge of good and evil to Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. We see that and we ask, my heavenly husband, make me like you. I want to be your bride. Marry, let's marry and walk into the same reality. And so there's a marriage here, just like there was a marriage at the beginning. Now watch this. The question on the table, as we begin our walk with Christ, He our husband, we, are, we His bride, shall I obey God? What is the goal? Right there. Yes. And it takes an entire lifetime. Watch this. 
Ezekiel 20, verse 12, Moreover, also I gave them my Sabbath to be a sign between me and them, that they, might, that they might know that I am the Lord that sanctifies them. So the Sabbath is a sign of sanctification. Sanctified life, page 9. True sanctification is an entire conformity to the will of God. So sanctification is saying yes to God, just like Christ did in the Garden of Gethsemane. One more quotation. In Heavenly Places 226, character building is not finished till when? Till life ends. That sounds an awful lot like up here where the Sabbath was not sanctified until the end of the Sabbath. Now watch this. How does that, is this just theological thoughts or is this putting it together here? I find this interesting. Putting all these pieces together, we see that the Sabbath is a sign of conforming my entire will to God's will, and this work of conforming my will to God's will takes a lifetime. That means that I am entering a life that is being conformed entirely to God's will. So if the pattern holds spiritually, we walk into a life with our Redeemer that is being conformed entirely to His will and that will be rendered eternally secure. Hopefully that will give you a new perspective of the sign of the Sabbath being, uh, Sabbath is a sign of sanctification. You may be feeling with the Holy Spirit's help, hopefully this weekend, that God's way is the way you want to go. But the devil will come along and say, you haven't reached that by Monday this week. Where's the Bible, says that, where's the Bible verse that tells you you're going to be from Eve of the tree to Christ at the Garden of Gethsemane by Monday? But the promise is that if you and I will walk with Him, He has promised, not us. He has promised that in this life, before you close your eyes in death or translate it to heaven, that reality will be yours. So that's the first promise. The second promise I want us to take a look at is this one right here. Everyone, including the thief on the cross, will enjoy this reality. Now, that one, that, let's read this quotation, and initially it may seem like it is a threat. It's really not a threat. It's a beautiful reality. I'll, I'll read this. This has become one of my favorite quotations and promises in the spirit of prophecy, especially on this point. Notice what it says. Everyone, which includes the thief on the cross, Enoch, everyone in between, everyone who by faith obeys the commandments of God will reach what? The condition of sinlessness in which Adam lived before his transgression. Signed to the Times, Volume 4. So what we're seeing is that going from the tree of knowledge of good and evil to the um, Christ in Gethsemane is achievable by everyone. What, though, on this quotation honestly gives us a pause for a possible uh, thinking that's a threat or an impossibility. It says a condition of sinlessness, but what is it? What is the condition of sinlessness? Let's observe this next slide here. Encouraging promise. In 1 Peter 4, 1, we see, For as then Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind, Christ's mind, for he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. In other words, he's, he's reached a point at which he says, yes to God, no to sin. There's the quotation again, the condition of sinlessness. It may seem like it's a threat, 
But I want us to pause and look at this next quotation that's up on the screen there. This is from Desire of Ages 761. The, the time frame is Christ has just died. Christ has just died. The devil has exposed himself as a liar. And this is what Mrs. White says. Christ bowed his head and died, but he held fast his faith in what? Submission to God. Take a look at this. Do you think there's a connection there? Condition of sinlessness simply means submission to God. So let's reread that. Everyone who by faith obeys God's commandments will reach the condition of submission to God's will that Adam lived in before his transgression. That's not my words. That's God's words. That's awesome. That means that no matter what you're struggling with, no matter how long it takes for you to go from, I'm going to pick this fruit, to, no, not my will, your, your will be done, God says it will happen. It happened for Paul, thief on the cross, and it can happen for you. This issue of, of submission is one that Lucifer was required, Adam and Eve, Christ, and us. And what's interesting is to notice this next slide here. Moses, angry, angry Moses, he actually received this with his walk with God. Notice this. Signs of the Times, it says, would it be possible that the sentence pronounced against him for his sin at Meribah when he struck the rock twice, one defect that marred his life of faithful, devoted service might be revoked. So even faithful Moses walking with God near the end of his life, he struck the rock. Now notice this next quotation. Same, it's all from the same area. Without, hum, without murmur or complaint, Moses did what? He submitted to God. What is this picture down here showing us? Christ submitting to his Father. Moses, despite his failure, was pardoned and continued to this process that inspiration tells us that he, Moses, would reach. There it is. He, the second uh, quotation says he submitted, and there it is in the picture, Christ. Look at the next quotation. This is rather fascinating, too. A little later on, she says this. Here were exhibited unselfishness, referring to Moses, characterized the life, what? The aged leader had not lived for whom? Not for himself. So even in the life of Moses, he had gone from, you get in my way, I'll kill you, which he did to that Egyptian, to on the Mount of Sinai when the apostates were down on the, on the uh, Mount Sinai floor. God, if you cannot forgive them, take my name out of the book of life. I mean, I don't know if you have ever had that emotion in your mind or your heart for a friend that you love. Look at the transition. You hurt my fellow Israelite 40 years earlier, I'll kill you. 40 years later, when there is not just one, but a multitude, 1.2 million at least, in, in apostasy, and he, with God's, God's help, has come to the place where he's not living for himself. He is living to for the others in such a way that he's willing to say, really, Father, if you can't forgive them, take my name out of the book of life, and I would rather die if you can't forgive them. That's incredible. Where did he learn that from? 
God the Father, by beholding, by loving, he became changed into that, that same likeness. Let's take a look also at a temptation that the devil is going to throw your way. This is a third of the four promises, and that's occasional deeds do not thwart this progression from Eve at the tree to Christ at the Gethsemane, not my will, your will be done. Notice this quotation. In that setting, notice what this says. The character, that's down near the end of the, that behold, at thought, action, habit, character, that level. The character is revealed not by what? Occasional good deeds or occasional misdeeds, but the tendency of the habitual words and acts. Take a look at this um, idea. The occasional good deeds won't make a bad person good. Here's an example. Hitler. Maybe he just decides, um, World War II is not going too well for me. I'll just throw a few million dollars to a charity. The occasional thinking about others is not going to change his tendency of doing murderous things to who, who knows whom. Since we can see that to be true, why do we think that all of a sudden, when I do an occasional misdeed, oops, that erases everything, the progress that God has made in my life? Since we know that an occasional deed, a good deed of Hitler is not going to make him a good Christian, we should equally be assured that, an, that our striking the rock, such as Moses, or the other items that we'll see on this next slide, it's not going to thwart God's promise. If you will walk with me, I will take you from self-centered to other-centered, rebellious to submitted. That's his promise, and he will keep it. Elijah fleeing from Jezebel's wrath. Think of this. This was just before he was translated. God remembers we are dust. He knows our frailties, and he will bring us one step at a time to where he wants us to be. Look at this next slide. This is just absolutely incredible. Here we have examples. Here we have misdeeds, consequences, reveal character, pardoned. Think of Jacob. Jacob played favorites. That wasn't wise. His, the consequences, his brothers hated Joseph. Did that reveal Jacob's character? No. Pardoned? Yes. And God continued to work with, Joseph, to, with Jacob to bring into his life full surrender to himself. And he accomplished that. Look at the next one. Moses. Misdeed. Occasional misdeed. Struck the rock. Twice when he was told to speak to it. Consequence? The more significant consequences, he, he marred the character of God. Reveal his character? No. What was his habit? To say yes. Pardoned? Yes. Look at the last one, Elijah. He ran from Jezebel. Was that his natural habit? No. But it happened. The consequence? He aborted a reform in Israel that could have happened and was aborted. It never, never, ever happened in Israel. Did that reveal Elijah's character? No. Pardoned? Yes. So as you go throughout the rest of your week, perhaps you will have a high. Hopefully the Holy Spirit has been wooing your heart to Him. Don't think that your occasional deeds are going to, misdeeds are going to be thwarting this process. God has staked Calvary on the fact that if you will walk with Him through the sanctuary, 
pardoned in the courtyard, reconstructed character in the holy place, he will see to it that you, with his help, will pass his inspection and meet with his purpose to dwell with you. The last slide we have is right here. Many times this word overcome is mentioned in Adventist circles without really taking the time to see what that means. Here is a Spirit of Prophecy quotation that, that tells us what that means. Volume 4 of the Testimony is 346. God permitted your surroundings to exist to develop character. There's that word again. But you could have made your surroundings for by, and I broke this sentence down point by point so it's easier for the eye and the mind and the heart, hopefully, to actually grasp what overcoming really means. For by what? Resisting or controlling temptation. Let's pause here for a moment. Do you see Joseph here? The devil, the dragon, is working through Potiphar's wife to try to get Joseph to move from submitting to God. Who in that picture is actually in control? Is it the devil? No. Potiphar's wife? No. Joseph is in full control. Doesn't seem like it, but he is. So, you could have made your surroundings by resisting or enduring temptation. Circumstances are controlled by what? The might of the will. How? In the name of Jesus. Notice this. This is overcoming as Jesus overcame. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, do you see the synonym for overcome? Is, is resist. Every time you hear the word overcome, you can biblically and spirit of prophecy sub, um, substitute the word resist, and it works every time. For example, in Revelation 3.21, we're told, to him that overcomes will I grant to sit with me on my throne, even as I overcame and am set down with my father on his throne. Who is the model for overcoming? Is, are we the model for Christ overcoming? Obviously not. Christ is the model for overcoming, and yet Christ never yielded to temptation. So overcoming cannot mean overcoming a yielded to temptation. Since Christ was tempted, since Christ overcame, and yet he did not overcome a yielded to temptation, then overcoming really means to resist temptation. And what happens when we go through those four steps? We behold Christ, we love Him, we obey Him. Foundation for when temptation knocks like with Joseph, he says, no, I resist, which means to overcome. And as he repeats the process of beholding, thinking, I love you, obeying Christ and resisting, he is forming the character of resisting that means overcoming. And as that character of resisting is fixed, he has what we usually think of as the term of overcoming. That's what it means. So here we see that Christ does help us move in this life, just like Sabbath moved into, Friday moved into Sabbath, we begin in a walk with our Savior into a life that's being transformed from selfishness and rebellion to living for others and submission to God's will. And God's Word says that if you will walk with Him, you will have that character. That's awesome. And so I, what I want to do to close is to put in your mind this one thought that ties us back into Daniel chapter 2. 
There's a quotation that tells us in the book Education, I believe it's page 154, that says that basically the context is there's Job, you remember the story, the devil's great controversy theme is there's no such thing as selfishness. Yes, God, he serves you because of his pretty wife, his kids, his, fe- his wealth, etc., this fence around. He doesn't do so selflessly. And so God said, all right, you can touch anything he has except for Job. And what, when everything was wiped out, when everything was wiped out, what did Job say? God gave, God takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. God won, the devil lost that one. So he comes back and says, well, let me touch him. God said, all right. After he touched him, what did he say? Though he slay me, yet will I, will I trust in him. Every person in this planet from the, from, uh, from the fall to the end of time, this quotation says in page 154 of education, that everyone, Christ and everyone, you and I included, have the privilege of disproving the devil's claim. When you are living like Christ in character, you are disproving the devil, and so the universe is actually seeing God's right, the devil's wrong, and you are helping God destroy the devil's accusations preparatory to Christ coming at the second coming, that stone, and destroying the entire sin problem. And so you actually have more of a part in the plan of redemption and the great controversy than we sometimes realize. But I hope that each one of us has seen that the prince of life, Christ, is the one to follow and not the prince of darkness. Because if we take a look at it, think about this. When each one of them is given power, by contrast, notice what each one does. When God is given power, when Christ, the prince of light, is given power in a marriage, he makes it better. When the devil is, like in Job's situation, given power, what does he do? He destroys kids, wealth, etc. So again, I, I appeal to each person here today, choose like Joshua said, whom you will serve, Christ or the devil. God is always going to be the one that's going to, to satisfy your heart's desire. And this is hopefully one way that, that you can see that the plan of redemption can win your heart to him in a way that's simple, reasonable, and doable. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.